Good evening. Everybody got quiet, so I figured we might as well get started. I think we're one minute till. It's good to see everybody. Tonight, we are worshiping our God just like we always do uh, when we come together in this place, and it is an important thing. And it is uh, a time and an opportunity for us to tell God how we feel, to express our love to him, to praise his name. And tonight we are doing so primarily with younger men of the congregation serving in these roles. And we spoke of the youth this morning, and we're very excited about the strength that we have at this congregation and what the men, these young men, have prepared and how they're going to be leading us tonight. We have much to be thankful for, much to be thankful for. I would share with you a passage to the young preacher Timothy, where he was being encouraged to bring the message regardless of his youth. In 1 Timothy 4.12, we read, Let no one despise you for your youth, but set the believers an example in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, in purity. As we worship our Father tonight, let's help these young men do just this tonight. Please pray with me. Dear Lord, thank you for the wonderful day you've blessed us with. Thank you for the time that we can spend together worshiping you. Please watch over us and please watch over those who are about to present lessons and sing songs and continue prayers to you, dear Lord. Thank you for such wonderful lives you bless us with. And thank you most importantly for sending your son to die on the cross for our sins. Amen. Good evening. Our first song tonight will be number 749, The Battle Belongs to the Lord. In heavenly armor, we'll answer the land, the battle belongs to the
We will be singing number 250, Send the Light. Again, 250, Send the Light. Whether in joy 
this evening comes from Galatians 2, verse 20. Galatians 2, verse 20. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. In the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. This has been the reading. Good evening. Uh, I want to start out by thanking the elders for giving me this opportunity to speak before you and all the other young men that have had opportunities. I'm sure we can all agree that this has been an incredible experience for each and every one of us. Um, I also want to thank Aiden for the reading. If you have your Bibles, I encourage you to use them. Um, I'm going to start out in Galatians 2. I'm going to go to verse 11 first. I'm going to point out here um, Peter... He's being a hypocrite here, and we're going to see that in this following passage. Now, when Peter had come to Antioch, I withstood him to his face, because he was to be blamed. For before certain men came from James, he would not eat with the Gentiles. But when they came, he withdrew himself and separated, fearing those who were of the circumcision. And the rest of the Jews also played the hypocrite with him, so that even Barnabas was carried away in their hypocrisy. So what Peter was doing here, which was wrong, is whenever the Jews were around, he would not associate with the Gentiles because it didn't look good. And Paul was calling him out here. And in this passage, Peter is not living the life a Christian should live. And that's what I want to talk to you about tonight is the life of a Christian. And the Galatians 2 and verse 20 outlines that perfectly, and I've split it into four different parts. The first part is at the start of the verse where it says, I have been crucified with Christ. And this represents the first aspect of living the life of a Christian, which is commitment. Now, if you turn with me to Romans 6, verses 1 through 7, this reads, What shall I say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Certainly not. How shall we who died to sin live any longer in it? Or do you not know that as many of us were baptized into Christ Jesus, were baptized into his death? Therefore we are buried with him through baptism into death, that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we should also walk in newness of life. For if we have been united together in the likeness of his death, certainly we also shall be in the likeness of his resurrection. Knowing this, that our old man was crucified with him, that the body of sin may be done away with, that we no longer be slaves of sin. For he who has died has been freed from sin. Now Romans 6, 1 through 7, outlines for us that the old man needs to die and the new man needs to walk. And it's pointed out in verse 4, where it says, therefore we are buried with him through baptism into death, that this is the start of our commitment. Baptism is essential. And if you are not baptized and you have not yet started that commitment, and you are not even on the path of the life of a Christian, now, if you'll go back with me to Galatians 2.20, I want to point out the second part of this, where it says, it is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. This represents the second aspect of our life as a Christian, which is our purpose. Now, it says here, Christ lives in me. It isn't answered here, but it is answered, what that means in Ephesians 3 and verse 17. And that reads, that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you being rooted and grounded in love. 
Now, it says here that the answer to that was that Christ may dwell in our hearts. And it's not answered here either. It's answered in Colossians. And if you'll turn to Colossians with me in verse, chapter 3 and verse 15 through 16. And let the peace of God rule in your hearts, to which also you were called in one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, singing with grace to your hearts in the Lord. And that question is answered right at the start of 16, where it says, let the word of Christ dwell in your heart, with richly in all wisdom. That means studying daily, and studying your Bible as much as you can. Now, I want to ask... Is Christ really our focus? Because if he is, are you studying your Bible daily? Do you know more about football and basketball than you do about the scriptures? Are you watching more TV or playing video games than you are than studying? If that is true for those, then you are, Christ is not really living in your hearts. Christ should be the centerpiece of our hearts and should be governing our lives. And that also means, would he be okay with the places we're going? Would he be okay with the movies we're seeing? Would we be okay with the music we're listening to? People on the outside see our actions, and our actions clearly reflect our purpose. And if Christ is our purpose, then it is very obvious that people should know what that is. Now, if you'll turn back again to Galatians 2.20 for the third part of this, it says, And the life which I now live, I live by flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God. And this represents our direction that we have as a Christian. Our direction is answered in Matthew 28 and verse 19, if you'll turn with me there. That reads, Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. One of the problems that I see with 21st century Christians a lot is we are scared to be proactive Christians. We instead wait for a reaction. And that means we are waiting for somebody to come to us first and not going to them. I want to point out that that is not what we're commanded to do. It says, go, therefore, and make disciples of all the nations. It doesn't say, wait, therefore. And now I want to turn to Acts 4 and verse 18. And we'll be reading through verse 20 here. And it says, so they called them and commanded them not to speak at all, nor teach in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John answered and said to them, whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you more than to God, you judge. For we cannot but speak the things which we have heard, seen and heard. Now, if you'll turn with me to Colossians 1 and 27 and 29. To them God willed to make known what are the riches and glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Him we preach, warning every man and teaching every man in all wisdom, that we may present every man perfect in Christ Jesus. So these two passages I just read to you are perfect examples of spreading the word of God. And one of the problems we'll face today as 21st century Christians is we are surrounded by sin all the time. At school, for example, homosexuality posters encouraging that. Cursing from co-workers. Also, friends talking about worldly things and activities. That should not stop us from spreading the word at all. And the first century Christians were often faced with death for just preaching the word. And yet we are scared and give excuses to preaching the word 
because we are afraid of a friendship not being the same anymore. That's no excuse to be spreading the word. Now for the final part of this, turn back with me. And the end of the Galatians 2 and verse 20 says, Who loved me and gave himself for me. And this represents the fourth aspect of the lesson, and that is motivation. Now, if Christ did not die for us on the cross, then we would have no purpose of being here right now. There would be no reason to be worshiping, but he did do that for us. So turn with me to John 15 and verse 13 through 15. And this reads, Greater love has no one than this, than to lay one's life down for his friends. You are my friends if you do whatever I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for a servant does not know what his master is doing, but I have called you my friends. For all things that I have heard from my Father I made known to you. Now turn with me to John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. And then lastly, turn with me to Romans 5 and verse 8. 18, sorry. Romans 5 and verse 18. And this says, But God demonstrates his own word and love towards us, and that while we are still sinners, Christ died for us. Now, God not only had to sacrifice his only son, which shows his love for us, but Jesus gave his life for us, which he shouldn't have. We are sinners, and we do not deserve that kind of love. And then the final scripture I want to turn to tonight is 1 John 4 and verse 19. And this perfectly describes the love we should have for him. We love him because he loved us first. There's no explanation needed for that. He loved us because he loved us first. And then finally, I want to close by asking us four questions, and then the lesson will be yours. Have you truly been crucified? Does Christ live by faith in your heart? Do you live by faith? And is all you do motivated by the love that Christ has for you? Thank you. I'll be reading from 2 Timothy 2, verses 15 through 19 from the ESV. That's 2 Timothy 2, 15 through 19. Do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who has no need to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth. But avoid irrelevant babble, for it will lead people into more and more ungodliness, and their talk will spread like gangrene. Among them are Hamenaeus and Philetus who have swerved from the truth, saying that the resurrection has already happened. They are upsetting the faith of some. But God's firm foundation stands, bearing this seal. The Lord knows those who are his, and let everyone who names the name of the Lord depart from iniquity. Good evening. We're going to be picking up where Campbell just left off in 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 20 in just a moment. But first, I just want to say how thankful and how excited I am to be up here to talk about something that I've been studying for the past few weeks. Now, it's kind of funny that 
uh, Keith mentioned 2 Timothy chapter, um, chapter 1, but we're going to be focusing on 2 Timothy chapter 2. Now, the context to this entire book is Paul, the writer, who is a little later in his years, writing from prison in Rome right now, is imparting his last pieces of wisdom as he believes that this is going to be the last letter he ever writes. And Timothy, who has already started his walk among his family, is gaining that encouragement from Paul. Now, it was very hard to narrow down what we're going to talk about tonight in 2 Timothy, but tonight I found a principle that I think is very important and very challenging to myself and hopefully very challenging to you as well. So we're not going to waste any more time. We're going to go ahead and pick up in verse 20 and read through the end of the chapter. In a great house, there is not only vessels of gold and silver, but also of wood and clay, some for honorable use, some for dishonorable. Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from what is dishonorable, he will be a vessel for honorable use, set apart as holy, useful to the master of the house, ready for every good work. So, flee youthful passions and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace, along with those who call on the Lord from a pure heart. Have nothing to do with foolish, ignorant controversies. You know that they breed quarrels, and the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but kind to everyone, able to teach, patiently enduring evil, correcting his opponents with gentleness. God may perhaps grant them repentance, leading to a knowledge of the truth, and they may come to their senses and escape from the snare of the devil after being captured by him to do his will. Now, there's a phrase that we see in this section of scripture that we commonly discuss when talking about how to deal with sin as a Christian, and that is flee youthful passions. Now, I'll have to be honest, I was under the misconception that when we're talking about youthful passions, we're talking about something that us young people have to deal with, or somebody that is younger in their faith. For instance, myself, I am 19, I consider myself a little bit younger, and I've only been a Christian for about three and a half years. So I feel like this is talking to me. However, with a little bit of studying and a little bit of thought, I don't think that's the point that Paul is trying to drive home tonight. We're not talking about how many birthdays you've had or how long you've been a Christian. We are talking about this spiritual maturity of a Christian. Now, maturity in its definition is kind of a hard Um, concept to grasp. But when we're looking at two different individuals, I'm sure we can say, we can tell if someone is mature or immature. And one distinction before we dig into maturity and immaturity, um, there is a difference between being worldly mature and spiritually mature. Let me explain. Worldly maturity comes with time and it comes with experience. When we're talking about spiritual maturity, what Paul is discussing here in 2 Timothy chapter 2, we are talking about a choice to do the right thing. And if we look where he talks about fleeing youthful passions, it says flee youthful passions, or let's replace it with immaturity, flee immaturity and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace. Those are right decisions. So that Paul is implying that for us to be mature, we have to make the right decisions. So what is one step we can learn tonight that can help us make better decisions? Well, I'm going to answer that question with another question. 
A question that we can ask ourselves when we are making whether it's a small decision or a big decision. And that question is this. Is this thing, decision, bringing me closer to God or putting something between him and me? Again, is this thing bringing me closer to God or putting something between him and me? And that is what Paul is trying to drive home here in 2 Timothy chapter 2. Now, there's a lot of different ways we can talk about being mature in the faith, being spiritually mature, or how to be immature in the faith. However, Paul really drives home here in this chapter that our speech has to be mature. And that is why I want to focus on tonight. So let's figure out how we can be immature in speech. First of all, ignorant speech that is used in worldly conversations outside of these walls, not talking about God, should not be ignorant. And we see that multiple times mentioned here in the section that Campbell just read for us and I just read, saying we should not be quarreling about words or be a part of ignorant controversies or foolish controversies. God does not want us to be a part of that. And along that same vein, multiple times in this book, Paul mentions multiple, individual, multiple individuals that are not using the word correctly. So while we're also talking about ignorant speech when we're talking amongst one another in worldly conversations, in the context of spiritual conversations, we have to be mature. And if we look in um, 2 Timothy chapter 2, in verse 18, we see two examples of people and that, that, ha, that Paul describes as have swerved from the truth. And maybe turn a page over to chapter 3, we see two other individuals in verse 8 through 9 saying they are men that oppose the truth, men who are corrupted in mind and disqualified regarding the faith. We can be immature in our speech, and let us not forget that. But we can make a choice to be mature in our speech. And Paul also points that out here in this chapter. So the two ways that I'm just going to kind of wrap them both together is to be able to be able to teach humbly and to be able to correct others with gentleness. And that is found in 2 Timothy chapter 2, uh, 20, 24 through 25. And he wants us to be a worker of truth. Not only are we called to be a worker of truth, but if we look in verse 25, I'm just going to read it again. Sorry, we'll go back 24 and we'll read through 25. And the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome or immature, but kind to everyone, able to teach, patiently enduring evil, correcting his opponents with gentleness. God may perhaps grant them repentance, leading to a knowledge of the truth. We must handle his truth correctly, and we must be able to speak it and be a worker in our works for truth. Our main goal as a Christian is to take what God has done for us that is outlined in his word and take it out to the world. That is done through how we conduct ourselves or how we use our speech. So we have to use our speech maturely. Now, if you haven't seen the theme of the lesson already, we are going to be talking about what it means to be a vessel of Honor. Now, this is a metaphor that Paul uses right before um, he talks all about this maturity stuff. But I believe there's a direct correlation 
to these two different ideas. Because we want, to, we want to be mature, and we also want to be honorable. So a vessel of honor. We don't really use vessel very often uh, in day-to-day -day conversations. We also don't use honor or dishonor. So let's define what a vessel is. A vessel, for instance, could be, let's, let's say a watering can. A watering can is full of water, and we use it to pour it on a plant. And it distributes the water evenly. Or something we use more often, a cup. A cup holds a beverage that we fill it with, and we can drink out of it effectively. Now, while both of these are considered vessels, they all have different purposes that another can't achieve effectively. For instance, I'm not going to choose to drink out of a watering can because that's not going to go into my mouth. When we're talking about a cup, I'm not going to pour that directly on a plant because that doesn't distribute the water effectively. And I believe, and Paul believes, that God sees people this way. Everyone has their own talent to achieve that purpose that we were just talking about with Aiden's lesson. And Paul is alluding that one's maturity in one's faith is ultimately making us a vessel that is usable for God. So, we want to be a vessel. That is what we want to be. But ultimately, we want to be a vessel of honor. So, how can we be a vessel of honor? Well, lucky for us, it is outlined in this book. And it's in verse 21. And he says, If anyone cleanses himself from what is dishonorable, he will be a vessel for honorable use. Awesome. That is our one thing. Well, lucky for, lucky for me, or unlucky for me, I didn't know what dishonor meant, because we don't use that very often. So I went to the thesaurus to see if there's any synonyms that I could pull from there, and just maybe this adds a little bit of urgency to our situation here. If you are considered dishonorable to God, one that is living in sin and not walking towards him making that, and making that choice, we are considered dishonorable or a disgrace, insulting, offensive, or I can throw probably this word in here also, immature, towards God in God's eyes. Now, I don't want anyone in this room calling me that. And I don't think we want the God that has saved us from our sins to call us that either. So we want to cleanse ourselves from what is dishonorable. We want to walk towards God and make the right decisions. So what are some other things that are mentioned here in verse 21? Well, first of all, he says that a vessel for honorable use is set apart as holy. We are sanctified with Christ. That means we are baptized, added to his church, and walking faithfully towards him. Secondly, he says we have to be useful for the master. We have to be molded like Keith was talking about this morning. Be ready to move forward towards God in whatever way he wants to shape us. And finally, he wants us to be prepared for the good works that he has instructed us to do. Whether that is for somebody that is in this building or somebody outside of this building, God wants us to be ready for those good works he's commanded us to do. So these are the, things for, uh, the qualifications for us to be a vessel of honor and for how for us to be immature. So as we get to the close of the lesson that I've prepared for us tonight, we have to examine what is in our way to being mature or honorable in the sight of God. Now, we can go back to that question we were asking about, about making good choices, righteous choices. Is this thing bringing me closer to God, or is this putting something between him and I? Or have I not even started that walk towards him? We have to realize one thing about that statement. 
God is stationary. God has not moved. We have to make the decision to get closer to him or we will make the decision to walk away. So if you find that you haven't been honorable or mature in your faith, you feel like you haven't walked towards him the right way, or you haven't even started your walk that way, I'm super glad that you are here. Because we have this opportunity in our worship for whether you need just the prayers of the congregation or if you need to come forward and be baptized tonight, we encourage you to come forward now as we stand and sing the song for your encouragement. Verses 1, 2, and then the chorus, and then 3, 4, and then the chorus. I am
bow with me. Dear God, our Father in heaven, God, thank you for providing us with this wonderful opportunity tonight to worship you and be led by young men. God, thank you for encouraging us, and please help us to be honorable and mature vessels for you, and help us to understand and fulfill our purpose as Christians. God, please forgive us for all the transgressions we've committed upon you, and please be with us in the following week, God. We love you in Jesus' name. Amen.